I know that we have some fishermen here at Trilogy, not just those like throw a line in the water kind of guys and come up empty uh, type of fishermen, but study the patterns, know the best spots in the lake, enter tournaments kind of fishermen. Uh, we have a few of those at Trilogy, the kind of people who don't just fish for fun, it's more of a lifestyle for them. Fishing has become something that it's kind of like coffee is for me. Okay, coffee is a lifestyle for me. It's not just something I drink. For some people, fishing is that way. Uh, some of these guys, you know, who have that kind of passion, they want to do it for a life, you know, like their career. So they become charter fishermen, taking groups out for a day of fishing, catching a few trout to fillet before they head home. And at charter prices, it ain't cheap fish either. You charter a boat, you go out and you catch some trout, you're probably spending $100 a pound for those fish at the end of the day. But imagine what would have happened. You go out on a charter, you come back to the dock, and you're doing your filleting there. You're getting ready to leave, and you're sitting there waiting for your fillets, and a man comes running up and says, hey, if you think catching lake trout was fun, I can show you how to catch the mythical lake monster. I know where he lives, and I know how to catch him. Of course, it's going to be a little more expensive than this charter. To catch the lake monster, I want you to give me everything you own. What do you say? Now, some of you would think it was nuts, but I guarantee you there are some people who would say, sounds good, how do I make the check out to and when do we leave? Because they want to catch the ultimate catch. I mean, think of the fame you would get for being the person who caught this thing. Imagine if someone offered you a real chance to catch the Loch Ness Monster. Like, I know where it lives. I know where it's been hiding. You can catch it. You can bring it in. If somebody promised you that and you knew they were legit, there are people who would write the check today to make that happen. Um, that would gain you worldwide fame, popularity. They'd make movies about you. You would be interviewed by all the late night talk shows. Your face would be on all the major news networks. And sure, the fishing guide said you would have to give him everything, but it might just be worth it. And as we continue to study the life of Peter, uh, this is a kind of a similar thing to what we see happen to him at the Sea of Galilee. Peter and his brother Andrew are fishermen, as, as many of you know, and they get their greatest haul of fish they have ever had. And then Jesus says, you think that was great? I've got something even greater, only it will cost you everything. So we're going to read about that in Luke chapter 5 in just a few minutes this morning. And before we look there, I want to talk you through what has happened so far. If we're going to jump into Luke 5, I want to talk you through kind of what has happened so far in Luke's account of the gospel story in chapters 1 through 4. Uh, in chapters 1 through 4 of Luke, we see the birth of Jesus, and then we learn a little bit about his growing up years, just kind of a taste of that. We also notice that Luke pretty much skips the entire first year of Christ's three-year ministry. Luke completely skips the first year of Jesus' three-year ministry. And this is because of the way that Christ moved through those three years and the priorities that he placed at different time uh, segments of his ministry and because of Luke's purpose in writing his account of the gospel. You see, Jesus spent his first year of ministry going around and getting as many people to believe in him as possible. That's what he did in the first year. Traveled around doing miracles, teaching, and gathering as many people as he could, building a crowd of followers who believed in him and his mission. Then, kind of near the beginning of that second year as we transition, he selected a few of those believers to teach and train them to become his apostles. And we know them as the 12 disciples. 
he, he selected some from among those believers, those followers, and he chose them to become his apostles. So his first year of ministry was all about gaining believers. His second and third years of ministry were all about turning some of those believers into committed and faithful disciples. Okay, that's the pattern that we see in Jesus' ministry, which explains why Luke tells us almost nothing of Jesus' first year of ministry, because Luke wrote his version of the gospel to help believers, to help those who were already on board, they were already Christians, to help them to become committed and faithful followers, disciples of Jesus. Luke is not an evangelistic book. It's a discipleship book. That's Luke's gospel. Uh, the Gospel of John, on the other hand, is evangelistic, uh, which is why John does tell us a lot about what happened in that first year of ministry and why John tells us almost a hundred times in his gospel that God gives eternal life to anyone who simply believes in Jesus Christ for it. John's gospel is pure evangelism. That's why the greatest evangelistic verse that everybody memorizes when they're four years old, is John 3.16, because that story of Jesus and Nicodemus is just central to John's story of the gospel and the new life that we can have through it. But Luke was written to Christians to tell them how to become faithful followers, disciples of Jesus. So this is what we see now that we have that background laid and kind of the purpose and the intent of Luke's writing. We come to Luke 5. And Jesus calls some of the men who have believed in him already during the previous year to follow him to become his disciples. So that's, some people don't understand the timeline here of what's happening with some of these guys, Peter and Andrew specifically. Some people miss the timeline. And this passage we're going to look at as we kind of read through this, five different characteristics of a disciple. What does it mean to be a disciple? What can we gather from this? And what can we put into practice in our own lives as we follow Jesus? And the first thing we see in Luke chapter 5 is that disciples of Jesus Christ love the word of God. Disciples love the word. Jesus' followers were passionate about God's word and Jesus' teaching on it. We see this in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. It says, One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. Great crowds pressed in on him to listen. This is a clear identifying characteristic of a true disciple of Jesus Christ. They love to hear the word of God taught. It just awakens something in there. They have a hunger to hear the Bible explained to them. The word disciple means student. You are a disciple of someone. You are a student of their teaching. And as disciples, we know that if we're students, our main textbook, our only source of information about God the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, about salvation, about heaven, about all things relating to a life of faith, is the Bible. That's our textbook. And we get into trouble when we start using other source material. When we use other things and we put them on a level, an even playing field with God's word. Everything else that you look at, everything else that you read, everything else that you study, every other book that you read, whether it's a Christian living book or a theology book or something that teaches you about life and faith and how we should follow Jesus, all of that needs to be compared and held up to the light of God's word to see how it matches up. And if there's anything that is different, if there's anything that comes around, does an end around, if there's anything that teaches outside of the parameters of, we need to be incredibly careful 
about what that is teaching us because God's word is what we have. And people who truly love God want to know as much about God as possible, right? I mean, people who truly love God want to know as much about God as possible. When you first fall in love in a dating relationship, you're spending every second trying to find out everything you can about them. I mean, you could probably, for those of you who are married, you could think back to when you first met your spouse and you'd sit across a table at a restaurant and spend four hours in conversation just digging into their past, finding out who they are, wanting to know what makes them tick, where they've come from, what makes them happy, what makes them angry. Guys figure that out really quickly. But you want to know it all, and it consumes you to learn that information. The same is true for when we fall in love with God. And the only way to do this, the only way to really learn as much as we can about God is to study God's word and to hear God's word taught. That's where who God is comes alive in us. And this is why these followers were pressing in to Jesus. They were pressing around Jesus. The, the original language gives us this sense of claustrophobic type of closeness that Jesus is teaching, and they're like in his face, causing him to back up. It's that close. The crowd just keeps pressing. As he explained the word of God to them, they hung on his every word, and those in the back that couldn't hear kept pushing forward, and it caused everybody else to move forward. And finally, Jesus is backing up. You know, they wanted to make sure they understood. They wanted to hear more, but eventually the crowd pressed so close to Jesus that he found himself getting pushed closer and closer to the water's edge, and he's starting to back into the Sea of Galilee. And so he looked over his shoulder, verse 2, he noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. The fishermen here had spent all night fishing, and now they had beached their boats, and they were off to the side cleaning their nets. That was the normal rhythm for a fisherman in the time of Christ. And most likely, they were able to listen to Jesus teach while they went about their work. They're cleaning the notes. They're like, hey, we get a bonus. While we clean the nets, we get to listen to the rabbi here. And Jesus sees these two empty boats and the fishermen cleaning them and the crowd pressing closer and closer. So he decides to teach them from one of the boats. Verse 3, stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. Now, this is not the first time that Jesus and Simon Peter had met. This is not their first encounter. Near the very beginning of Jesus', of Jesus ministry, Andrew introduced his brother Simon. If you remember, we talked about this last week. Andrew was a disciple of John the Baptist. John the Baptist had been very clear about who Jesus was. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so Andrew had seen Jesus. John had pointed him out. Andrew got all excited. This guy's the Messiah. This is the one we've been waiting for. So Andrew runs and gets Peter and brings him to Jesus to introduce him. Like, you've got to meet this guy. And so Jesus and Peter have this encounter. And Jesus says to him, you are Simon, but you will be called Peter. And he changes his name and he changes the direction of his life in that moment. That was a full year, most Bible scholars say, in the timeline before this encounter here. So a year has gone by between Jesus saying, you will be called Peter, and now Jesus co-opting his boat and stepping out into the lake to teach the crowds. That's a lot. Of, I mean, there are different thoughts on that issue, but most Bible commentators say this event is one year later. And Peter had followed him somewhat over the past year. 
You know, as Jesus was building that crowd of believers, Peter had been part of that, witnessing miracles, listening to his teachings, gaining familiarity with Jesus. They heard him teach over and over that God gives eternal life to anyone who believes in Jesus Christ alone for it. And most likely it was during this year that Peter and Andrew and James and John, they all believed in Jesus for eternal life. They trusted him as their Messiah. But now, as we can see, they've gone back to fishing. Peter is doing the work that he's always done. And one day as they're out fishing, Jesus shows up again and begins to preach. And so they enjoy listening to him teach, gives them something to listen to while they clean their nets, but they don't stop what they're doing. They keep going. Listening to sermons doesn't put food on the table. And some of them, like Simon, he has a wife at home who he needs to provide for, and they'd followed him on and off, but they needed to make a living as well, and they were having a hard time of it. It's been a difficult night of fishing. They hadn't caught anything. They'd fished all night, and so now they were cleaning their nets so that hopefully they'd be ready to go out later tonight when they would hopefully have more luck and actually get something to, to show for their work. And as they clean their nets, Jesus continues to teach. The crowd begins to crush. And finally, Jesus gets into Simon's boat, and he asks Simon to take him out a little way so that Jesus can teach from there. Now, Simon had just wrapped up cleaning his nets. Okay, He's done kind of hoping maybe to get some sleep because he's got to go out again tonight. Uh, but now Jesus wants to borrow his boat. And so I can kind of envision Peter like, well, the sermon's good, and this would allow me to hear it better if I'm in the same boat with Jesus. So he picks up his nets, puts them in the boat, shoved off and rowed a little way out from shore so that Jesus could continue to teach. I'm sure he's expecting, like, this is going to be wrapped up soon. Then I can get in, I can get my sleep, and then I can go out fishing later. But a little bit later, we're going to see how important it was that he had decided to stay and listen to this teaching. It always seemed that when God's word was taught, you know, God has something especially for him in the message. A little later, you know, he found himself almost coming to tears because it seemed like God was speaking to him through Jesus. And again, Simon thought to himself, that's exactly what I needed to hear today. I'm sure glad I decided to stay and listen rather than to go sleep. This is better than anything else I could be doing. And obviously, I'm taking a little bit of creative liberty with this passage. We don't know what Simon was thinking. Um, but here is what I do know. And this is why I think that could have been exactly what happened in Simon's mind, because there have been many, many times in my own life, and some of you can probably relate to this, when I did not feel like going to church, where I did not want to go spend time in prayer, or I didn't really have the, the energy to go do my devotions. I was too busy, too tired, or I had some things that seemed like they would be more fun, if I'm really honest. And some of those times I chose to do the other thing rather than attend church, or rather than do my devotions. If I'm honest, I would say it was fun. It was relaxing. I did get sleep. But some of those times, I pushed through and I chose to go to church, or to go to the Bible study, or do my devotions, even though I didn't necessarily feel like it. And do you know what happens in those times? Almost without fail, it always happens that those are the times that God uses his word most powerfully in my life. It's the times that I don't feel like it, I don't want to, and I push through that God shows up and does something incredibly powerful in my life. Those are the times that God's word seems to just jump out at me. The times where it seems that the voice of the preacher is the voice of God himself speaking right into my soul. And I believe that in those times that I chose to sleep instead of go or chose to watch Netflix rather than get into God's word, I believe I messed out on something that God had especially for me in those moments. 
And I've found that when I was tired and I didn't feel like going to church, now, obviously, I'm a pastor now. I don't really have a choice. Um, but <laughs> when I used to have a choice. Um, but when I didn't feel like going to church, I believe it's because God had something for me and Satan doesn't want me to hear it. And so he will put distractions in your way. And I found that when I am most busy and I don't think I can fit my personal time with God into my schedule, that's because God has something special for me in my Bible reading that day or my prayer time that day. And Satan doesn't want me to receive that. And so he will do everything he can to derail that, to get me off track, to get me thinking about something else, to get me moving in another direction. Don't you have some Sundays where you just don't feel like going to church? I mean, we've all probably been there. And those are the Sundays, let me just challenge you, those are the Sundays you really need to come. Because God has something for you that you don't want to miss. So come and come expectantly. Come looking for it. Be ready. Pray that God will speak to you and he will give you something that will make you so glad you came. It's the same with your prayer times or fasting or any other spiritual discipline. When you don't feel it, that's the time to press in because God has something special waiting on the other side. So I'm pretty confident that after a long night of fishing without catching any fish, and then after a long morning of cleaning nets, Simon didn't feel like listening to a sermon, let alone getting back in the boat and pushing off. But I'm certain after listening to Jesus, he was glad he did. And Simon revealed the first characteristic of being a disciple of Jesus. Disciples love to hear the word of God. They can't get enough of it. They want it so badly, they press in on Jesus. They ask to get into a boat just so he can continue to teach. The crowds were just relentless. They want it more than sleep, more than rest, more than food. And because of Simon's decision to set aside those other things and to prioritize listening to Jesus, Jesus is now going to bless Simon with first a physical blessing, as you'll see, and then an even greater spiritual blessing. You see, when we obey Jesus, blessings always follow. There is blessing on the other side of obedience. And most of the time, obedience is not easy, okay? If, it was, if obedience was easy, we'd all do it all the time. But it's not. Sometimes Jesus asks us to do some pretty difficult or different things. And that leads us to the second characteristic of a disciple. A disciple obeys Jesus even when it doesn't make sense. A disciple obeys Jesus even when it doesn't make sense. Um, I'm sure we probably would all willingly admit we don't fully understand God, okay? I'm not God. Uh, I don't completely understand everything the Bible says. I study to try to learn more. I read other commentaries and see what other people's thoughts are. I pray and ask the Holy Spirit to give me discernment. But even then, I still, there are passages of the Bible that just confound me. Of course we don't understand. God is so far beyond our comprehension, we can't even begin to grasp his wisdom, knowledge, and power. But even though we don't understand God, we still believe in him and follow him. That's faith. Even though we don't fully understand God, we still believe in him and follow him. And that needs to carry over into the things he asks us to do. Even though we don't understand the why, and let's be honest, sometimes we don't even understand the what. We don't even understand the thing he's asking us to do, let alone the reason behind it. Luke 5, 4, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. He finishes the sermon. Simon's about to head into the shore, like, okay, now I can go get some sleep. And Jesus says, hey, keep going. Go out deeper and let your nets down. Now pause and try to understand what Jesus is asking Simon to do here. First of all, Simon is the fisherman. 
Jesus has a carpentry masonry background. Okay, Jesus it should be learning fishing from Peter, not the other way around. Secondly, Simon had already been fishing all night long, hadn't caught a thing. And besides that, this was probably near the middle of the day now. It's the heat of the day, and everybody knows the middle of the day is generally the worst time to fish. You're not catching anything now. Okay, the fish have gone deep. Uh, they're gone to the cooler parts of the water. They're hiding from predators. So chances are if they didn't catch anything at night, they surely aren't going to catch something now during the heat of the day. And finally, most frustratingly for Peter, it's, it's that he had just finished cleaning his nets to get them ready for fishing later when he, fishing would hopefully be better. And if he dropped them in the lake now, he's going to have to clean them all over again. Not one thing about this request from Jesus made any sense at all and will only cause more work for Simon. But look what Simon says in Luke 5, 5. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. Sounds like an excuse, doesn't it? But if you say so, I'll let the nets out again. Man, there's power in that verse. I could just read that and we could all go home if that truly gets into our hearts. Because he begins with the excuse, right? Here's why it doesn't make sense. Here's why I shouldn't do it. Here's why, 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 why. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. What a powerful statement of faith. Simon tells Jesus that this request doesn't make much sense, but he will obey Jesus anyway. Simon says four incredibly powerful words that we need to make part of our vocabulary if you say so. If you say so. God, if you say so. Four words that change the course of Peter's life. They're the same four words that could change the course of ours. We could go around and probably each tell stories how that one moment was the fork in the road for us, you know, when we made a decision that changed the trajectory of our lives. And that was the moment for many of us where we said to God, if you say so. It redirected where we walked, redirected the way that we lived, redirected the course of our lives. You know, for me, just most recently, I can think about Eight years ago, when Melissa and I had to make a decision as God had called us to plant a church, and I'm 42 years old with five kids at the time, and I'm just like, I'm going to go do what? I'm going to go to a place I've never lived before where I know nobody, and I'm going to start a church with no money. Sure, that makes all the sense in the world. And then we're going to have two more kids on top of it. <laughs> this is insanity. And yet, it came down to that moment where Melissa and I had to say, it makes no sense. But God, if you say so. You know what's interesting for Peter? This is not a moment of clarity. This is a step of faith. He didn't understand. He just obeys. This isn't a, well, if you say so, and I believe you're saying so because there's a massive amount of fish just ready to jump into these nets. And I trust you, and I think you're right. No, this is reluctant obedience on the part of Peter. If you say so. And this moment of truth, not built around a moment of clarity or understanding, but around a step of faith, changes the course of Peter's life. And it could change ours. Because the life you and I long to live is found in the obedience God calls us to give. 
The life you and I long to live is found in the obedience that God calls us to give. The life we long to live, the dream that's within our heart, the deepest desires of our soul is found in obedience to the one who wove our souls together. If Peter says no, we never read about his story. If Peter says no, he doesn't become a disciple. He walks away like the rich young man who's sad because he can't bring himself to give up the things, the stuff that he loves so much. Peter's response is different. His response is, if you say so, I'll do it. And sometimes the things God wants us to do don't make much sense to other people or even to ourselves. But if God has spoken to us, we have to obey. And then we get to see God work. And boy, did Peter see Jesus work. Verse 6, and this time their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. And here's what I want you to see here. Obedience to God's commands always results in divine blessing. Here, the blessing was a boatload of fish. So many, in fact, that their nets broke. They had to call their friends over to help them. But even then, the two boats were not big enough to hold all the fish. They filled both the boats to overflowing, and then they began to sink. Sometimes the blessing like this is physical. Sometimes it's a spiritual blessing that God gives us. Sometimes it's an emotional blessing that God gives us. I've had those moments where I have been feeling just kind of meh. And then I, I obey and I press through and I spend time with God in prayer and God gives me an emotional just fullness that I didn't have before I entered into his presence. There's an emotional strength that God gives us on the other side, but there is always blessing that comes from obedience. When God tells you to do something, do it even if it doesn't make sense. God told Noah to build an ark because a flood was coming and nobody had ever even heard of rain. I mean, it's mind-blowing. Hey, I'm going to flood the whole earth. Noah's like, what's a flood? Well, it's going to rain. What's rain? I mean, it had never rained until this point. But Noah did it. God called Abraham to pack up his possessions and start walking. And Abraham did it, even though he didn't know where he was going. God told the people of Israel to march around Jericho for seven days if they wanted the walls to fall down. And they did it. Made no sense. Why are we going to knock the walls down by running around this city walls seven times? God wants to work through you. God wants to bless you, but you have to be like Simon who says this doesn't make sense, but if you say so. Disciples obey Jesus even when it doesn't make sense. Third characteristic is in verse 8. And there we learn that disciples are aware of their own sinfulness. Disciples are aware of their own sinfulness. They have a level of self-awareness. They realize that God is God and that we are not. Another way of saying this is this. One of the side effects of being close to Jesus is how quickly you realize you're not him. One of the side effects of being close to Jesus is how quickly you realize you're not him. Right? I mean, I've seen that to be true in my life. The more I experience God's presence, the more I recognize what needs to change in my own life. Luke 5, verse 8, when Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh, Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, one of the most cool names in the whole Bible, were also amazed. Simon Peter's response initially surprised me. You know, is this the way you would respond to a miracle? Why is it that this event caused Simon Peter to react this way? 
I mean, put yourself in Simon's shoes, right? How would you respond if you just caught a record-breaking number of fish? You've been a fisherman your whole life. You've never seen anything like this. You would most likely shout and yell and celebrate. You'd be doing an NFL end zone celebration that end with spiking a fish. I mean, this would be a moment to celebrate. But Peter does exactly the opposite here. He falls down and tells Jesus to leave because of how sinful he feels. Why? There's a ton of possibilities because the text doesn't take us inside the mind of Peter here. But for one possibility, remember what we talked about earlier with regard to how events unfolded in Peter's life. A year prior to this event, Jesus had encountered Peter, given him a new name, new direction. He began following Jesus. But in that year, he probably didn't make a whole lot of money. He's been, you know, distracted by this whole Jesus thing. So now Peter had gone back to fishing. A man's got to work. He has to provide for his family. He has to put food on the table. So Simon stops following Jesus and goes back to fishing. And here Jesus shows up on the shore in the morning and starts teaching. Then Jesus takes Simon out fishing. They catch a record number of fish. And Simon realizes then in that moment that God will supply all of his needs. He doesn't have to worry about it. If he follows Jesus, he's not going to go without food. He's not going to go without clothes. Simon Peter realizes his own pride and self-sufficiency had gotten in the way of what God wants to do in his life. Jesus had asked Simon to follow him, and Simon, after following Jesus, had gone back to his old way of life. And that meant in his own mind he had more important, more practical things to do than just follow Jesus. In Luke 5.8, Peter recognizes his huge mistake, and there is nothing more important than following Jesus. And when we follow Jesus, he promises to provide for our needs. There's nothing more important than following Jesus, and when we do, he promises to provide for our needs. Making something or someone else in our lives more important than following Jesus, bottom line, is sin. Making anything more important than following Jesus is sin. And that is what Simon Peter realizes here. He put fishing and providing for his family above following Jesus. Providing for your family is important, vitally important. But everything else in life has to come after the priority of becoming and developing and growing as a disciple of Jesus. Nothing is more important than this. But not only is nothing more important than following Jesus, nothing is more rewarding either. Simon was chasing after a few fish, he got a boatload of fish. But even still, at the end of the day, it's a boatload of fish. Some of us chase after a bigger paycheck, a nicer house, a newer car, and we may get it, but they're only a bigger paycheck, a house, or a car. They're not nearly as valuable as what Jesus offers to Simon next. And this is where we see the next characteristic, and that is that disciples are fishers of people. Our career may not change when we make a decision to follow Jesus. Where we live may not change. Our relationships may not change. But what we are living for absolutely will when we commit to following Jesus. Luke 5.10, Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. Jesus has just given them the biggest fishing success of their careers. Never in all their lives have they caught as many fish at one time. This was the money-making chance of a lifetime. Their ship had finally come in. Literally, their ship had come in. And now Jesus says to them, leave it. From now on, you will catch people. He says, you think this is a big success? It's a bigger success and has eternal value to catch people. You think catching a boatload of fish is exciting? Wait till you have your first encounter with reeling in a human life into the kingdom of God. There is nothing that compares. 
It's kind of like that story I started out with, man on the shore who invites you to go fishing for the mythical lake monster. <laughs> this is what Jesus is doing here. He gave them the best day of fishing ever, then told them that if they were up to it, he has even better things in store for them than that. It's, it's what pay, it goes way beyond anything they've ever experienced. And the Bible tells us how important this is, that we grow in this discipline, that we partake in this calling in our own lives, tells us this all over the place. Proverbs 11.30, and those who win souls are wise. That, that, is, that is a challenge, not just New Testament, it's Old Testament as well. And listen to this in Ezekiel 3.18. You want a challenging verse with regard to evangelism? If I warn the wicked, saying, you are under the penalty of death, but you fail to deliver the warning, they will die in their sins, and I will hold you responsible for their deaths. Whew. That one hurts. That hits in the tender places there. I mean, thinking about that, that if God says, hey, I'm warning people, I'm, I'm helping them to escape sin, I've given them the means, and if you fail to warn them, guess who that's on? We carry some of that responsibility because God has given us that ministry of reaching out and letting people see the truth. The value of a single person is greater than a boatload of fish. If the disciples catch one single person out of the clutches of the devil and help bring that person into the loving arms of Christ, that moment alone has infinite and eternal value. Jesus is inviting the disciples to make a catch that will last for eternity. He's given them a choice. They could continue to be fishermen, going out every day trying to catch a few morsels of meat, or they can be fishers of people, going out every day, reaching people and showing them the way to eternal life. It's so so important. Jesus has made the same invitation to you. Your profession may be a rancher or a contractor or a teacher or sales, but that is just something to put food on the table at the end of the day. Your calling is to fish for people. And you can be a witness wherever you are and whatever you are doing in whatever profession God has led you into. And you say, oh, pastor, I know I'm supposed to witness. I know I'm supposed to evangelize, but I don't know how. I get scared. I don't know what to say. I'm afraid I won't be able to answer their questions. Guess what? That's normal. That is okay. Everybody feels that way. But do you want to know how to overcome that? How to grow beyond that? Matthew 4.19 gives us the answer. When Jesus called Simon Peter and Andrew and James and John to be his disciples, he gave them the key to this fishing for people calling and ministry. Jesus called out to them, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. How do you become a soul winner? Follow Jesus. They followed Jesus and they learned. They grew closer to Jesus, and it became more natural. The closer you get to Jesus, the longer you follow Jesus, the more natural it becomes to show people who Jesus is. Nobody becomes an incredible fisher of people by being told a thousand times, you better go witness, because that's what Christians are supposed to do. That's not going to encourage you or motivate you. Nobody does this with excellence by being put on a guilt trip that they aren't out there talking about Jesus to people every day. You become a soul winner by following Jesus. Because the more you fall in love with Jesus... You won't be able to contain your excitement about what it means to have a relationship with them. You won't be able to, to have a conversation with someone without bringing up some aspect of your faith because it is all-consuming. It drives you. It moves you. Everything that you do in your life revolves around your relationship with Jesus. So it becomes natural to insert Jesus into your everyday conversations because every day is an opportunity to live for him. 
It's not something you have to work yourself up to. It's not something you have to, to, to try to, to, to twist yourself and try to get yourself into a square peg into a round hole because I'm just not good at this. No, it's who is God in you and it just comes out of you because it becomes who you are. And that's my challenge to you is get so close to Jesus that it naturally just flows out of you. If you decide to follow Jesus down the path of discipleship, he's going to transform you into a fisher of people. And that is why that's the fourth sign of a true disciple. So we've seen the true disciples love God's word, obey Jesus even when it doesn't make sense, aware of their own sinfulness, they become fishers of men. And then finally, the last thing, the final characteristic in verse 11, disciples are willing to leave everything and follow Jesus. This one is so simple to understand and nearly impossible to live out. Because I'm convinced everyone has at least one key area of their lives that they don't want to let go of. Peter had his livelihood. The rich young ruler had his wealth. You may have your family, your hobby, your abilities, but Jesus doesn't ask for almost everything. He asks for it all. In verse 11, we see as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. You know what they left behind? That miraculous catch of fish that they just had. (laughs) As soon as, it says, As soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. This thing that Peter was so excited about, this fish that filled the boat, Peter's like, yeah, forget about it. I'm going with this guy. Simon just had the greatest fishing day of his life, greatest fishing day he'd ever heard of anybody ever having. Probably caught more fish in one day than he'd ever caught before in an entire year. They could sell the fish, not work for a whole year. That'd be great. Think of the family vacations they could go on, nice clothes he could buy for his wife, the new house they could afford, but Jesus had just called them to go after something bigger and more valuable. He'd call them to join with him in the process of saving souls. They realized that this was of such supreme importance that they left everything and followed him. Didn't even pause to count the fish. They beached the boats, jumped to land, and left it all behind. The boats, the nets, the record number of fish, everything, they knew that following Jesus was more valuable than anything else. And they knew that if Jesus could give them a boatload of fish in the middle of the day, he could certainly provide for their needs later. So they didn't care about what they were leaving behind. Nothing else matters when you compare it to the value of following Jesus. That can sound cliche. Nothing else matters, just just you, God. But there really isn't anything else. Your eternity and the eternity of the people you know is really all that matters. This life does not. That doesn't mean I want to waste this life or I want to throw away this life because it is a gift from God and he has things he wants me to accomplish while I'm here, but I'm not living with this life in mind. I'm living in light of eternity. Becoming a Christian absolutely no cost. There's no cost to it. Jesus paid it all. Through his death, he paid the penalty for our sin. We receive the free gift of eternal life simply by believing in Jesus Christ for it. That's the miracle of the gospel. That is the good news, that Jesus has made salvation available for free at no cost. We don't have to pay any price for it. He's done the work. But becoming a disciple is completely different. There is a huge cost involved to becoming a disciple. It may cost everything you have, everything you are, everything you own, but the results are well worth it. The reward far outweighs the cost, and this is what Simon and his companions realized, and this is why they left everything and followed Jesus. They were already believers, but now he was calling them to much more. He was calling them to become disciples, and they answered that call with a resounding yes. So my question to you this morning is are you willing to give up your schedule, your priorities, and make listening to God's word a priority? 
Are you willing to give up what you think you know about life and success and just obey Jesus no matter what? Are you willing to give up your priorities and make Jesus following him your top priority? Are you willing to give up your plans for your life and let God use you to bring people into his kingdom? Are you willing to give up all your possessions and worldly wealth and surrender it all for the sake of following Jesus? Peter did. And it not only changed his life, it changed eternity. About two years after this event, Jesus had died on the cross. And then he'd risen from the dead. It's amazing to think about, but Simon Peter always found he could think better when he was fishing. So that's what he did. Peter went fishing. He and his buddies fished all night, but once again, they didn't catch anything. And then just as dawn was breaking, deja vu. A man appeared on the shore and yells out, have you caught anything? No, Peter yelled back, just some seaweed and some sticks. Try throwing your net on the other side of the boat, the man hollers back. Simon Peter rolls his eyes. Who does this guy think he is, Jesus? But he glances at his buddies in the boat with him, and they all shrug. Why not? What could it hurt? So they do it. They haul in their nets, and they toss them off the other side of the boat. And just as before, they caught so many fish, they couldn't bring them all into the boat. And Simon Peter knew instantly that it was Jesus. So he jumped into the water and swam to him, let his friends deal with the fish. He just wanted to be with Jesus. After Jesus died, Simon Peter had gone back to fishing. But he found out that nothing in the entire world compared to being with Jesus. And Peter became one of the greatest soul winners, one of the greatest fishers of people that the world has ever seen. And it's all because of the time when Jesus said, will you obey? And Peter responded, if you say so. When Jesus said, come follow me, and Peter responded with, yes, I will. What will your response be to Jesus today? Bow your heads with me. Before we pray, I just want to ask quickly this morning, if you may be here and you're still in that pre-believing stage, you haven't gotten to that point of believing and trusting Jesus for salvation, to forgive you and as I just mentioned a few minutes ago, there's no cost. You don't have to prepare yourself. You don't have to work yourself up for it. You don't have to make yourself worthy. Jesus came and paid the price for your sin. He died on the cross, and he surrendered his life so we wouldn't have to. And if you're here this morning and you would say, I, I need to be forgiven, I need to be restored to right relationship with God, Jesus has already made the way for that to be possible. All you have to do is receive that gift. And I want to give you that chance today. If you're here this morning and say, Pastor Jeff, I, I want to take that step of faith. I want to believe in Jesus, and I want to be forgiven. I want to be set free, and I want the new life that the Bible promises. Before I pray, if you would just lift your hand and say, yeah, pray for me, Pastor, because I want that. I want that new life in him. All right. The next question I have before we pray is maybe you're a believer. You've been following Jesus around for a while. You've been listening to things, and you've trusted him with your eternity. But through the message today, you've been realizing that maybe the path of the disciple is not one that you're walking right now. And God is calling you to something more, a lifetime of sacrifice, a lifetime of submission, a lifetime of fulfilling the calling that he has on your life. And Jesus is reaching out to you saying, hey, you've believed in me. You've trusted me with your eternity. Would you trust me with your tomorrow? I want to make you a fisher of people. I want your life 
to transform the lives of people around you. I want you to be my disciple. And you would say, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to be the disciple that God wants me to be, to follow him no matter what the cost, no matter what he asks me to do, no matter who he wants me to reach. I will go wherever, whenever, and however he wants me to go. I'm giving it all to him. If that's your heart, would you just lift your hand and I'll pray for you this morning and say, yeah, I want to give it all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hands all over the room. God, I thank you for each person this morning who you're working on their hearts and saying, just like Peter, God, I want my response to be, if you say so, and yes, I will. I will go where you want me to go. I will do what you want me to do. I will reach who you want me to reach, and I will sacrifice anything to see your will accomplished in my life. God, let that be our hearts. God, not just as individuals, but as a church, that, God, we wouldn't have anything that becomes sacred to us in our traditions or our facilities or our ministries or our programs, but, God, we would be willing to lay everything aside to see your will accomplished through our church. God, I pray that every one of us would become the disciples you want us to be. And as we do, God, just like Peter, he went out and changed the world as he knew it. God, I pray that you would use the people in this room to change our world as we know it. God, the miraculous would follow. God, your love would pour out of us. We would see life transformation at an unprecedented level because, God, we have made the commitment to follow wherever and no matter what the cost. We thank you, Lord. Empower us now as your followers. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless y'all. Let's follow him.